The True Tone Lounge podcast features audio-only versions of our video interviews. To view those, please visit truetonelounge.com or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash truetonefx. Giles, and welcome to the True Tone Lounge. Today we're in the home of Brent Mason, Grammy-winning guitarist, session king. Yeah. Thank you for letting us come into your home. You're very welcome. So you were born in 1959 in Van Wert, right. Ohio. So tell, That's right. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about growing up in Van Wert, Ohio. Well, actually, I, I, I was born there, Okay. but I lived in a little town called Grove Hill, Ohio, which is about uh, 20 miles uh, east of there. <clears throat> Nothing there, but uh, you can blink your eyes and go through it. One of those okay. places, but uh, went to Grover Hill School, elementary school there, and uh, it was a lot of music in my house. You know, my mom and dad played music. There was instruments. Mom played bass, and sat like Mama played bass. Daddy <laughs> sang. All that stuff was true. My brother played drums. Right. We're, we were always playing. It was. It looked like you know this music instruments all around the house. Yeah. And, so you were surrounded by music and so yeah. what, what? Although it wasn't, I mean, ironically, it wasn't a musical, you know, area there. There wasn't that many musicians there. So, but your family was. Yeah. yeah. And so what? It's uh, not like Nashville, obviously. Yeah. So what caused you to pick up the guitar? Uh, my dad played uh, those, uh, like, Merle Travis style. You know, that the yes. thumb pick. Um, uh, yeah. the, the, the thumb picking thing yes. with the Travis thumb picking. and finger. So he played, he showed me a few things like that. And I, after that, I, I just, you know, enjoyed the guitar. That was all I was thinking about when I woke up in the morning, I was playing the guitar. And uh, I had an old Spanish kind of guitar that my grandma had given me. And I played that. They had some Ray Charles albums. We had a whole eclectic collection of records, you know, phonograph records. And I remember taking a, a table knife out of the drawer and playing slide on Oh, sorry, oh, bumped your knee there. Uh, playing slide on it. Slide guitar wow. with you know on the with the Ray Charles records, yeah. <laughs> although there wasn't any guitar on it, so it worked. Right. It was bluesy, so that was my first experience. Then I started you know picking up some chords, some chords yeah. off my dad. And how old were you at this point when you started? Uh, about playing? probably about eight. Okay, about eight years old. And so that's the reason why you started off with the yeah. thumb pick, was yeah. because because still your dad. with it. Yeah, how about that? Yeah. But yeah, he played and just a musical yeah. household. And so your your family, you kind of had a family band called the Masons, and you played played yeah. gigs. Where'd you play gigs at? Uh, we played at, at places like Elks Lodge, Moose, any your animal lodges. Yes, <laughs> your local. <laughs> yeah, that's you know that's the area for like the Moose Lodge, Eagle Lodge. You know where yes. you you go and 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 you say they say set up, but don't don't touch the bingo game over there on the corner of the stage. It's, it's <laughs> you know, like I'll set my up. Uh, you know, it was yeah. more it was more about you know, playing bingo and stuff like that, those places. People really, you know, they, they enjoyed the dance music and stuff. They weren't probably listening to any complexity of music. But we, play, we played in those, and they were week, we're kind of weekend, they were weekend warriors, you know, band. Oh. We'd play on Saturday, Friday, Saturday nights. Later on, they got to play more, they, they got more popular and bought more show clothes and stuff. <laughs> but 
they went out traveled a little bit. It was just like a tri-state area. It was like Indiana, Ohio, Michigan, you know. But my dad worked in a factory in the yeah. in the daytime. And mom was just a homemaker, but she, you know, she worked hard and cooked for us and played music. That's that's what yeah. kept them young, playing yeah. music. So how old were you when you started playing with the band, playing gigs? Oh, uh, I was probably I was probably about. 15, 16, okay. right in there. Yeah. And so were you already I mean, kind of playing? Able to get into the clubs and play old enough, you know, but I mean, they weren't, they were just, you know, restaurants and stuff like that. But um, my uncle played with them normally. He was a lead player. He was a really good guitar player. I, I, I got a lot of things off him, Terry okay. Rubel, who was my, my mom's brother. And he was more like, a, like a, a Don Rich with Buck Owens. Yeah. He was a great player. He had a telly and a coil cord and super reverb, you know, with the reverb cranked up. Yeah. The beach music stuff, yeah, you know, he was, he was really good. Uh, and I picked up a lot of things off him, a lot of lead stuff off of him. And then later on, we became more of a self-contained family band. My brother got older, and he, he's five years younger than me, and he started playing drums. So he just kind of went into a family band. Yeah. The Partridge family. The Partridge family. <laughs> the Masons. Yeah. What, what kind of stuff were you working on? Were you, were you learning? Were you practicing? Was it mainly learning the songs to play at the gigs? Or were you, were you listening to records and trying to pick things off, the, off albums? Yeah. Well, I mean, way before that, I was deciphering, you know, guitar licks off from records and stuff. Like Jerry Reed. Right. I mean, I was going to get into that to go back a little bit. Uh, Dad, would, Dad had bought this Jerry Reed album, which was called, I think it was called Nashville Underground. And I, <clears throat> me being about eight and a half or nine, I was going, man, Dad, I said, I like that guitar player. Is he? Is that one guitar player or two? I was asking because I heard all these bass lines and stuff. So it was music was already churning in there, you know, in the wheelhouse. So, And he said, that's one one guy. And I go, wow. So I had to, I had to s decipher all that. So I would take, you know, this this is back in the days of vinyl records. Right. Putting the arm back and do 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 you know, yeah. figuring it out. Scratching it. Yeah, so yeah. there was a lot of that before yeah. we got to the family band. Yeah. But there was no lead playing back then. It was all like learning uh, just instrumentals, you know, where I could just myself. I, I didn't play with a band, you know, where a lot of guys start playing Jimi Hendrix and they get a band together and start playing before they yeah. really get seasoned, you know? I was already playing these complex Jerry Reed things with, with a gut string guitar and a steel string guitar, acoustics. Mm -hmm. So when, when, when uh, I watched my uncle play leads and stuff, that's when I started buying other records and listening to like Merle Haggard. My dad was a big Merle Haggard fan. Yeah. So I listened to the, you know, Merle, the Strangers, Roy yeah. Nichols and those guys. Picked up a lot of stuff off them because we were playing that stuff out, you know, mainly country. What kind of guitar were you playing? You know, oh, I had a, well, this, this is odd. I had a Hagstrom Swede. Yes. You, know, you so remember those? Kinda, it's kind of like a, a Les Paul looking Yeah, instrument. it's even heavier than Les yes. Paul. It sounded really good. Yeah. They're very versatile guitar. Oh. And, 12, 12 plus pounds at least. Yeah, I know. They were very heavy. <laughs> uh, I had, that was my first one. Yeah. And it had a pretty good twangy back pickup too for the country stuff and of course yeah. you know for rock and the blues the front you know it was like a Les Paul so that was my first one uh, electric guitar and so then uh, you continued playing with the with the Masons and and how did you end up moving to Nashville well I uh, my mom was friends uh, with the Franklins okay like Paul, Paul Franklin. Franklin I'm sorry yeah, yes. I was gonna say Paul Franklin steel guitarist yes and uh, 
it was his ex-wife. She had somehow corresponded with her and had sent her a tape. I guess Paul, I think he was playing with Mel Tillis at the time, okay. the Statesiders. Right. <clears throat> and uh, he liked it so much, I think he took it on the bus and was playing it in the bus for all the musicians. And he goes, yeah, listen to this, you know. And I, go, and I thought, really? I was really, you know, uh, and, you know, I'm pleased with that. Later on, uh, I went to Nashville uh, just to visit. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna go back. I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Uh, my mom and dad took me to Nashville when I was about four, 15, just to visit. <laughs> and uh, we saw Chet Atkins going, we, this is funny, we were in the back of RCA, the old RCA, yes. which is a great big parking lot, you know that, you know where it is. Yeah. And we pulled up in our big sky blue Econo line van, and I had my guitar like this, and then mom pushed, goes, go on, go on, play him. Saw Chet going in, I was behind Chet with a, with a going, you know, looked like a, you know, a mariachi guy going, following him. In the and he's just frozen. Yeah. And I was going, walking just in the position to play, but couldn't hit a note. And he went on in the door and I went, ah. <laughs> I don't, you missed your if chance. he didn't, he didn't see me. Yeah. And if he did, he probably pretended he didn't see me because, you know, what would you do if some, yeah. you know, strange kid was following you up with, probably had it happen a million times. Mm -hmm. To me, it was a weird thing. And I went back, mom, what did you Why'd you do that, man? Yeah. I, you know, I just remember that one. That I, that I did have an appointment that was with Roy Day, who was an A&R person at RCA, and he was really liking me. But when he knew I had a lot of school to left, to, you know, I had to go, finish school. I was like junior high or something. And he goes, "Yeah, that's good," because I was just copying off of Jerry Reed. Mm -hmm. He goes, "That kid's talented, you know. You know, in about three or four years, you know, he'll he'll, he'll probably be here." And you know, he was being real nice, but. Also trying to, you know, just, you know, mom, you know, let him finish school, yeah. <laughs> which was a smart yes. thing to say. And so I kind of left Nashville kind of like, God, that scared me to death. I've, I've, you know, I don't know if I want to go back now. I'm really nervous. Mm -hmm. You know, I was already nervous heading there. And when I, all these people were, you know, I was doing all this stuff, trying to get my music heard and stuff. And I was scared to death. But I, but I did go back um, when I, like I said, I'll go I'll leap forward to the Paul Franklin story. So then I had a connection. I was about 18 or something like that. And I went and uh, Paul, they introduced me to Paul. He said, We'd, we're loving your tapes, man. We, we play them in the bus at, with the Mel Tales State Siders and we, we're digging your music. I was like, wow, I was really flattered. So he took me to the studio. I think it was Pete Drake's and they were playing in there and I'd watch a session. I'd see guys like Fred Newell and they're playing. I'd go, wow. Larry London, and I thought, these are the cats. Are. Those, those were the guys that I looked on the back of albums for. I didn't, you know, I, I appreciated the stars, but I was more, you know, in awe of the players that were listed on the albums, you know, just as much as the Conway Twitties and the, and the Merle Haggards and, the, right. you know, all that. What year was this when you finally moved here? Uh, I think it was 80, 82. Okay. Summer, it was like 82, yeah. Okay, and so Paul Franklin's kind of helping you. Uh... Paul helped me, and his brother-in-law Greg Galbraith, who was yes. a, you, you know Greg, you know, so you've Greg been a guitarist. Yeah. He was doing quite a bit of sessions at the time, and Greg helped me get a gig with Don Kelly in the okay. in the band at the Stagecoach Lounge. Yes, so that's that's and a that's good... where the trouble all began. No. <laughs> that is where the trouble begins. Don Kelly has kind of been a a, a band leader for a, a long time, and he's had a lot of different 
you know, guitar players that have kind of come through his his school. Were, yes. And, uh, and uh, that is a good, uh, you know, way I've, to look I've at it. I've watched a number of, of guitar players as they've gone through the school, as I've known them before and afterwards. And so this is, I wanted to know how much did playing with Don change you as a player? It helped me a lot. Yeah. Um, when I got, when I first joined in, I see, I had this, I, I had this, I perceived Nashville as just a place where people jammed. You know, I was, because I, I had collected albums like Buddy Emmons, and mm -hmm. they were all like playing doo-doo-doo jazz, all, you know, and everything. Yes. And, you know, Jimmy Bryant, and, you know, and Speedy West, and Hank Garland. And yes. I said, you, these guys are serious. They, you know, who cares if there's a singer? Yeah. <laughs> we're yeah. going, you're in my way. Let me play. Yeah. So when I got, when I, that's what I mean, you know, they'd be playing like Green Green Grass at home, and I'd be going, doo 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 you know. <laughs> You know, playing all kinds of jazz, and Don goes, "You shouldn't do that because you know, if you want your phone to ring, you know, yeah. if you want work, don't. You know, it's good and everything. You're good, but you need to play the song." And I go, okay. "Oh wow, okay." So what is that's it? what everybody's doing. Yeah. I thought. So what does what does that mean to play the song, Brent? Is <laughs> to play tasteful, yeah. uh, respect the singer, and stay out of the way. Of, you know, listen to the singer and compliment the singer. And so I, I listened to the, that advice and. He was giving that advice, and everybody else, you know, that, that was seasoned was there. And I, uh, you know, that's what you got to do. You got to listen. These people know they've been there. They paid their dues, and mm -hmm. so I thought, oh, and and they said, don't play jazz in the country. That'll that that'll really your phone will never ring yeah. if you do that. And I thought, yeah, I thought, well, God, that's what Buddy Emmons. I thought they all played jazz. Yeah, you know, and that's what made it cool. Like, hey, man, I'm gonna play jazz. I'm gonna blow some jazz while you're singing. You're in my way, you know. Mm -hmm. And then I went, oh, okay, like this. And then I went back to playing the, the song like Roy Nichols would play with Merle Haggard or, or uh, James Burton, you know, and right. Albert Lee and all those guys. When they, Albert Lee could blow, but when he's playing with Emmy Lou Harris, he played just in the right spots, you know. Right. He knew when to shine and when to lay back. So I learned that. That was, okay. I got that in my head and I went, oh, you, okay. I see what you're saying now. Don, he, he was just, he was just, he was just a, a teacher of everything, you know, how to, uh, to be friendly and, and, you know, I mean, I was a friendly guy, but I, I was a little nervous all the time. I, I just felt like every morning I went up and went somewhere, I felt like I had to prove myself. It was something, you know, I thought if I get this established, I don't want to have to do that as much. You know, if I, they know I play good, but everywhere I go, nobody's hurt. Now I got to play just like phenomenally good. And Don goes, no, just, you know, everybody, he goes, your good is still, I mean, your bad is still good, okay? <laughs> and I went, Wow, that's a, that's a cool way of looking at it. I thought, man, I, I kind of see his point. And he says, just be yourself and don't try to impress anybody. Don't try to act like you're real cool. They'll, that'll come off as you're, you know, you're kind of uh, snobbish and snobbish and uh, and not a friendly guy. And mainly, if I was perceived as that's because I was so nervous. I didn't want to say something stupid, you know. And you know, then I kind of hung around Don, and, and I had, you know, a good sense of humor was important to me, and he was a h hilarious guy, you mm -hmm. know, and then I kind of got into that thing where, you know, this is fun, I feel like one of the guys now, and he, he kind of taught me how to conduct myself in a way. You know, how, how to act when you're, you know, don't be scared, just be yourself and relax and be who you are, and, you know, don't, you don't, don't try so hard to prove yourself, you know, it'll, it'll come naturally, your talent will 
shine through to all that. There's an aspect of of of, Don, of the of the gig with Don just from me as an outsider seeing you know other seeing players that have that have gone through that school where I've uh, seen them for playing four or five nights you know four hours a night and playing all those solos because the Don Kelly gig is about playing lots at least what it is yeah. now. Well, there's, I still got to do the solos. You yes, know, it was all so about still there was like if you didn't you know wasn't going to knock him out there's another kid in line you right. know Don. <laughs> He knew yeah. every hot shot guitar player, you know, and from he, here to Texas. He's he's always got two two people that are waiting in line. Yeah, yeah, yeah always. Ready to this day. kick your butt, you yeah. know, if you don't. Yeah, exactly. But it, it's interesting, and, and I was just you know wondering if you know how you know the the impact that it made on you because I've seen other guitar players that have gone through you know playing with him, and it made a huge impact on one in their musicality, and that all of a sudden they started playing more of the the melody. Yeah. You know, on, on, and, and playing for the song. I've noticed yeah. that over and over again. Yeah, and, and that's, that seems, that's what, the, that takes the longest to learn. Yeah. And then you realize, well, that is the only way to play. I mean, that's music, you know. Yeah. If, you, if you're not playing the song, then why are you there? It's yeah. not, you're not serving a purpose. So, you know, I learned that lesson. <laughs> So you're playing with the Don Kelly band. I am? And you you were. Oh, that's you right. Don Kelly. Is, you know, I thought is, you brought that up. This is in the early 1980s. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was 19, early 83. 83. Yeah. You're playing with the Don Kelly band. Right. And how does Chet Atkins end up coming in to see you play at the Stagecoach Inn? Well, okay. Well, I've been playing there a while. <clears throat> uh, from We went from a small little bar to up the street to a bigger bar. Okay. <laughs> Moving Where on. I can up. be more drinking. Yes. You know, there's a little bit of drinking now. Yeah, a lot of drinking. A lot of drinking. With a lot of people. I, you know, I wasn't drinking. Yeah, no, no, I had a beer or two. That's all I could. Yeah. But anyway, the musicians, this was a musician's musician band, you know? Um, and they were coming off the road to hear this band play, Don Kelly, and, you know, and they, hey, this is supposed to be a good guitar player, a young kid. Let's go see if he's good. You know, we heard about mm -hmm. him. And Don, you know, Don's always got cool players so and then they come in and we we get a lot of people coming in to this is where you know like kind of like the baked potato of LA you know mm -hmm. and uh, they come in and Chet had heard word of me so he came in I think the first he'd always come in with another guitar player Chet brought Ray Flack in you know from Ricky Skaggs oh, so that yeah. was the first and I, he's I met Ray Flack Ray was you know doing a lot of cool stuff with Ricky back then like heart Got me heartbroken and uh, all these. I loved Ray's style. He's, he had a, uh, he was so good because I would. So now these are fun songs to learn. Yes, <laughs> great. You know records and you get to play. He had he had kind of a more a little bit more aggressive style. Than, yeah, say, it Albert was great. His yeah. his solos were so cool. I thought because it, they spoke. They really you yeah. know it didn't have to be like burning fast. It was just like bending yeah. like in. All these kind of yes. pull down bends. Those are so cool to me. And so he brought Ray in, and I got to meet them. So we played some, you know, we go, wow, this is cool. You know, I felt like, man, I'm really in now. I'm in with the in crowd, you know, these dudes yeah. are coming in. And then he brought he brought in Neil Sean from Journey. You know, Chet was yeah. had a quite a 
uh, connection with a lot of genres, guitar players from, yeah. you know, like all the way from Neil Sean to, to Ray Flack. Because he just loved guitar so and much. And one night he brought George Benson in. So George came in, sat down, and this is this is the time in his career where he, where he was really uh, on top with on Broadway and mm -hmm. Masquerade and all that. He was on top of the pop charts, and so people actually started coming out and getting autographs from him. You know, mm -hmm. even the Hank Jr. fans and the Charlie Daniels fans and country music fans. You know that because we were playing all that. You know, like South's going to do it again. This this was fun music about that time, and uh, so he he would. Uh, he was out there clapping, you know, grooving with our music, and we were playing some Delbert McClinton stuff, you know, and then we were playing. I was really, I was nervous, but I was playing some stuff, and I thought, well, I, I, he liked that. I, was, I got his approval, you know, so. Then later on, I'm going to jump from that, Chet had called me uh, after he had brought some people in there, and, and he goes, I want you to play on a record of mine. Uh, <clears throat> and I got a lot of guitar players on it, like Martin Offler and Benson. Earl Clue, uh, Steve Lukather, a bunch of people were on it. Larry Carlton. And I was like, I was on the phone with him. And he goes, could you think you could come in and overdub on something uh, next Tuesday? And I'm going, well, let me, <clears throat> let me check. Uh, let me check on it, Chet. <clears throat> and I was looking at a calendar up there, and it was like looked like a snowstorm. You know, I was yeah. going, yeah, I can definitely do that. I can, next Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if Tuesday doesn't work, Wednesday's fine. And so I went over to his house, you know, and overdubbed on this this song called Leather and Lace that Martin Offer and he were on. And that was my big break, you know, and I was oh, back to Nervous City again, you know, nerves, all nerves, bundle of nerves. But that was that's, that's how I got it, you know, Chet. So, the, you know, it rings true, Chet, you know how they say, always help, you know, he helps young guitarists get started. Well, that was proven there, you know. Yeah. And that was the album Stay Tuned. Yeah. Stay yeah. tuned, what won a Grammy. Yeah. And I was on the one song called Leather and Lace with Knopfler and Chet. So and I was still playing Stagecoach Lounge, yeah. you know, so. So did things so did things blow up after that or not? They did. Um, but I was also at the time it was kind of an ambiguous stage for me. I was also songwriting. Right, because I like I was a singer and a songwriter, so I'd went in and you know had meetings with publishing companies. So I got a publishing company deal through Charlie Monk, who okay. was had Monk Family Music at the time. Yes, and he, they were you know, at the times. This is this how long ago I was affiliated with CBS Songs, <laughs> which is Sony now. Came Sony, this yes. is showing my age, but so I signed with him, and then I started co-writing every morning and playing at the club. So. All of a sudden, I was turned into an artist, singer, and a guitar player. But it, it, it was like my songwriting is going to be my vehicle to get to stardom, or, or I guess that's what that's where I need to be, mm -hmm. an artist, and, and and you know I'll play guitar like Jerry Reed, I get like Steve Warner, and you know I'll be a guitar player like Brad Paisley is now, or Keith Urban, you know, yeah. and. Uh, so I started songwriting, I got some songs cut, and then they were hiring me. I'm, I'm, I'm just like, I'm snowballing on some other yeah, stuff here. We're good. So you had, you know, the, the Don Kelly gig that you are playing that. You played, you know, with, uh, with Chet Atkins on the Stay Tuned record. You get uh, a publishing deal, and then you're, you're, I'm sure you're playing on your own demos of your songs, mm -hmm. right? Right. And then producers are hearing the demos that you wrote the songs and also played guitar on. 
and I'm assuming that, that that's that's not hurting you that these producers are hearing you know your your songs and they're hearing your guitar playing. That's exactly right. Did you hear me t tell the story before? Um, <laughs> do you read minds? <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm, you're, you're perfectly. You're dead on right. Okay. They would hear some of my songs, and I would just, you know, because when you write the songs in yeah. Nashville, you write the songs, and you hire demo players to demo the songs. You get mm -hmm. enough songs together. Right. You go in the studio, and, and you get a little funding, you know, from the publishing company, and you cut these ten songs. or Well, however many you can get in, probably five or six in a yeah. day. You had a quota when you were a songwriter in a, in a publishing company. You know, and they said, get six songs. Don't come out of there with five, Okay. We need six from you. <laughs> okay, sir. Okay. So we went in there, and I'd get the songs pitched, and they'd like, they'd go, that song's pretty good. Who's playing guitar on that? Yeah. <laughs> this is what you were saying? <laughs> yes. They go, oh, that's, that's me. That's yeah. me. Love that guitar. You know, we got a song. That we, don't, we don't need that song, but we got... <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. But we want you to play guitar on and that. That's what happened on a Keith Whitley album. Okay. Uh, his last album that he made, uh, I Wonder Do You Think of Me, Keith Whitley. Uh, I had written a song called Heartbreak Highway with Lonnie Wilson. Right. And uh, he cut the song, but he said, I need him to come in and play on it. I said, awesome, man, I'm getting a song cut. Now I'm getting the, to play on, a, on his record. And uh, so I went in and played on it. And they, Garth Fundus, and he was, who the producer, mm -hmm. he was the producer. And Keith, he said, we want you to overdub on the whole album. And we, we got to have your style on here. It's, it's happening. And, you know, my style was kind of coming through the cracks and, and kind of getting recognized. It was kind of starting to Nash, a certain Nashville sound, you know, with Brooks. I didn't play on Brooks and Dunn stuff, but it was starting right. to filter in. Just like some of the other players, like, you know, like uh, Lonnie Wilson and those guys, Glenn Wharf, And they were, we were kind of filtering in on the new level of the, the session ace players, you know. Yeah. And so I went and played on that, and then the song, you know, the album came out, and I had this Heartbreak Highway, the song I wrote in there, and it had a hot guitar. I, I figured it's probably not going to be a single, because <laughs> it sounds mostly like an instrumental, but, mm -hmm. you know, we all wanted singles. You know, if you're a songwriter, you want singles. But it was on there, and he, he sang beautifully on it, and I, I got some cool guitar on it. And I could see then, okay, they're starting to like my guitar playing that's taking precedence over my songwriting, it seems. Yeah. <laughs> so. So there was also, uh, you know, there was Randy, some couple of Randy Travis records. Yeah. So did you play on those before the Keith Whitley, or was it about the same time? That was that was before. Okay. And we'll jump back again. Yeah. I was seven no. years old. You were seven years old. Exactly. So, no. was, was that because of <laughs> no. Kyle, Kyle Lenning, or was it because of Kyle Steve, Lenning. Steve Gibson, or? Okay. No, it was, it was Kyle Lenning. Okay. Uh, and I was going get to that. Kyle uh, hired me to play on a uh, Randy Travis record and some dance heels, mm -hmm. but he wouldn't hire me on the dates, tracking dates, you know, where they're cutting right. you know, the drums. And, and when everything and, goes down at the same you know, time. It was Larry London, David Hungate, and yeah. I wasn't on that. Yeah. I could be a fly on the wall. Right. And come in, but couldn't be, uh, he, he, was not, he was just a little worried about that. I wasn't, you know, seasoned enough and yeah, yeah makes sense but when the song was cut he brought me in and i was all over it by the time it was out i was doing like three-part harmonies on stuff okay. and filling every verse and 
when the record was out, sound like I was the main musician. It was like uh, Randy Travis with Britt Mason, you know. So what, so what are some of the songs from uh, from that era on on uh, Randy Travis's records that you played? Oh, I was like uh, songs so like was... any the like Better Class Losers and all okay. that, and uh, all that like dancing, all the Big Wheels in the Moonlight, that whole album, and yeah. and you know just spot. Con Hunley was, I think, if you remember Con Hunley, yeah. he was one of the first ones I think I played uh, on on the record. That Kyle was producing at the time, let me overdub on it, some fills or a solo or something. I don't remember the song, yeah. but I just remember it was Con Hunley. Yeah, and and also at, at this point in time, the the Nashville guitar sound is more about you know strats with EMGs and 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 you know going direct and using TC chorus and things like that. It's yeah. very much the direct sound. So were you using that type of, you know, it, it didn't sound like that kind of sound on the, on those records as much. Were you doing that or you, were you using a combo amp or what were you using? The, it was, we, I had adapted to the direct okay. concept of, that's what everybody was doing at the time. Right. Reggie and uh, Brent Rowe and Steve Gibson. Right. They all had direct units going and there was a guy called he was mo west remember mo yes. west had all these these yes. like magical preamps yes we all had to get down there and get us a mo west preamp and they did sound they were cool they had a sound to them yeah. and we were all running stereo you know mm -hmm. you wouldn't you wouldn't really run mono because direct mono was like we've like no way that's gonna sound real you know pitiful uh so we'd stereo wide you know you kick that course and it was like out here you know yeah. it was real you know it was it was a great preamp i mean sometimes the the chorus i always thought was kind of i can understand if we're doing a luther vandross record or something but i i can't see i, I just don't feel like I, it kind of creeped me out sometimes running direct on country music yeah. so a lot of us would would fool around with amp emulators until our, our eyeballs were hanging out of our heads you know it's yeah. like i had headache going home trying to make this preamp sound like I had a Fender amp like that, and was recording with yeah. it, and you know, so you're, and that that's a compliment by saying, well, you must use an amp, right? Yeah. It wasn't an amp. It wasn't an amp. It was like a groove tube preamp or something yeah. with it, or a Boogie Studio Pro, Boogie preamp that had the emulator or the, I think it was just EQ'd like, right. you know, like an amp, and they did sound good. I even yeah. used that on some of the earlier Brooks and Dunn things. Okay. So you, you worked with you know, with Randy Travis and uh, and then of course the Keith Whitley and, and again this this is all plugging in direct at this point. Yeah, it was yeah. all direct. That's you know Jimmy Bowen had this right. uh, the the he was he started all the direct stuff. No A things. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yes. And, and I remember going to the studio and I didn't work for Jimmy Bowen, uh, although I was signed. You know, we'll, you probably want to talk about that at some time, but. I was signed to MCA as an, as an artist, and Jimmy Bowen signed me, but not as a guitar player. But the people that hi Jimmy hired, you know, like Reggie, and he'll tell you Reggie, Billy Joe Walker, and all Larry Byram, and mm -hmm. all those guys were running direct. Okay. And then at some point, even the drums, there was nothing being mic'd, nothing. Everything was direct. The drums were direct. <laughs> the D drums. <laughs> wow. And there was a lot of reverb in it, like whoosh, all this shilly, real, you know, elegant mm -hmm. bells and whistles reverb back in those days. And uh, so, yeah, so you had to join. They were they they were like cream of the crop, you know. And you know, Reggie had the best, some of the best tones I thought with uh, with the direct sound. And you, like you said, there was some EMG pickups involved. And it seemed like they 
came across good when you run direct with them. Mm -hmm. I don't know something about the MGs with a preamp running direct. It gave it gave a cool sound with maybe a Dynacomp in the mix or something as a compressor. And so you know, we just Brent Rowan was was another guy that was you know getting some pretty good tones direct. You know, mm -hmm. he was doing some cool stuff, and so we all you know had to follow suit. That's that that seemed to be the what everybody was doing. So everybody did it. Yeah. So I did that for a long time. Uh, eight, 89, you have uh, Alan Jackson's you know, first album comes out, and you played on that. Again, is that direct also? Some of it was direct at the beginning. Okay. And then I talked to him. I, I, I said, no, no, can I use a Fender amp on this? Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and I did. I think the first song was uh, In the Real World. I used a Mo West preamp on it or something. I think it was a Mo West. And I had it sounding pretty good. I think it was uh, Don't Rock the Jukebox. Yeah. That was direct, I think. Wow. Yeah. It, well, but that's because I had it perfected. I had this thing sounding like an amp. Mm -hmm. I had a, I have enough, enough sessions under my belt to where I had this. I got this thing sounding like an amp now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it sounds <laughs> like an amp. It it's pretty yet. good. That sounds like yeah. a telly, like yeah. a twin reverb or something. Mm -hmm. And then finally I just said, please, let's, let me use an amp. And you know, in the first time we had broke out the amps, we were at Tree Studio, and they, they put Kicks, Brooks, and Ronnie Dunn together. Mm -hmm. Don was working with uh, Kicks, and I think... Uh, Don Cook. Don Cook, I'm sorry, yes. I, I didn't say Don Cook. Yeah. And uh, Tim Dubois had uh, Ronnie Dunn. Mm -hmm. And they joined ranks and mm -hmm. put those do that duo together. Yeah. So we went in to cut Boot Scootin' Boogie, uh -huh. you know, as one, one of the songs, which became a huge, colossal hit. I, I said, let's, let's set them amps up, baby, yeah. <laughs> and let's do it. Don was going, yeah, set those amps up. We want a, we want a roadhouse. We want some, you know, we want some crap in the sound, man. If it's going to buzz, good. Let's do it. You know, he was, he was. I said, yeah, that's what I want to hear. So I remember I, I would play something like at the end, and then it would fade out in the amp, and I go, oh, cool. And I was trying to get it. You know, yeah. I said, this is really neat. Listen to that thing buzz, because that's what I thought was cool, and it, what, that's what threw me. Yeah. And the engineer would go, that's buzzing at the end. We can't have that. And I go, that really threw me because I thought, no, I, I mean, that's cool. That's what we want. Yeah. No. No, it's, I mean, it wasn't like a patch cord in the patch bay or something was right. going. It was the amp. It was the freaking yeah. amp. That's what they do. Yeah. To me, it, it gave it another dimension. Like, this is a reality. This is reality here. You're getting, yeah. you're getting your money's worth when you buy this record. You yeah. hear everybody breathe and sneeze and, 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 uh, you know, buzzes in the amp and all that. So, but, it, but you know, I'm joking around, but it, 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 it brought a little roadhouse music into the thing. So, and then the next Alan Jackson thing, we, we had the amps out. It was amp time, because, you know, I'm not taking credit for that totally at that time, because, uh, you know, Dwight Yoakam was doing that on the West Coast. Right. Pete, Pete Anderson was, you know, he was playing some great stuff. Yeah. And a little sister and all that, man. Everybody would loved his playing, you know, yeah. I did too. So we brought that into Nashville, you know, so it started just getting out of the direct thing. It yeah. started setting up these smoky amp fires that stayed all night in the, in the Hillbilly nightclub the night before, you know, with beer and cigarettes soaked in them. And, you know, so Brooks and Dunn sprouted out of that, Alan Jackson, and then, then it was like, all right, man, now this is some real, this is the real deal. So, so that's, kind of, that's kind of the beginning of, 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 the, of the changeover from the direct sound to the amp sound. Yeah, yeah. Was, were those, yeah, and were I, those I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying, hey, I started all that. You know, I, but I was there, that's kind of when we brought the kind of the 
rock and roadhouse country in, you know, a little bit of the right. edgy tellies coming in now. It didn't have to be pristine, transparent, scooped out, clean, you know. Well, they were they were using that sound on R and B records, which I thought really worked good. You know, like Paul Jackson Jr. Those, you know, yeah. you know, had yeah. that real clean, and that works good for that music. So when we play something like Anita Baker or something, that was hey, yeah. <laughs> that was the sound. But when you're playing hillbilly music and it sounds like it's you know needs to come out of there and some beers are falling off of the amps on top or something, you know, they need they need these. Uh, amps and the room sound in with it so to me that was like that's this is what music's about now here this this made it real honest yeah honest music so yeah we were a part of that so we then that's when all the you know alan jackson and uh brooks and dunn and and we did like mark collie and travis tritt and and uh what's that there might be a little dust on the bottle yeah david lee murphy david lee murphy was out we yeah. played on that man i thought yeah. I loved him, David Lee. I, mean, I still yeah. do. I don't know. I mean, if he re yeah. records anymore, I haven't. But I loved that record, and I loved what he was doing. I was a fan of his. Yeah. And so stuff like that was coming out, and then Don Cook was produced. We were playing on a lot of stuff. With Don Cook at, at uh, Sound Shop recording. Yeah. With amplifiers. With amplifiers. Amplifiers, baby. This has been an audio presentation by True Tone. TrueTone.com. <laughs>